It's been a tough few weeks for the RAND as the market grows increasingly anxious over domestic challenges, including government's fiscal deficit of 143.8 billion RAND. Election rhetoric isn't helping either, with spending promises that could further impact the government's purse. The RAND is also being battered by international headwinds like the economic slowdown in China and sticky inflation in the United States. Hello, I'm Jeremy Maggs and this is No Ordinary Wednesday. It's our in-depth look at what's driving markets, shaping the economy, changing the game. In this episode, Investec's Head of Foreign Exchange and Fixed Income Trading, David Gracie, joins me to discuss the RAND's performance and its future outlook. David, a very warm welcome to No Ordinary Wednesday. So, David, let's start the conversation by looking at the RAND's performance over the past two years. And fair to say it's been quite a roller coaster. Jeremy, yes, indeed. Uh, you know, the RAND has found itself on this roller coaster journey. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, we had very good export performance, uh, which contributed to a positive current account on the back of uh, resource prices, resource exports. The mining companies were doing really, really well. Uh, high taxes paid, and we had these excess revenue collections. And that obviously, that export activity was also very good for the RAND uh, and for the fiscus. So that was a couple of years ago. We have a very different picture right now. We have very low uh, commodity prices. Our exports have fallen for a number of reasons. And, you know, the, the, the fiscus is under pressure. Revenue collection is, is down because, you know, when, when we had that excess revenue generation, we didn't, we didn't really pay down debt. So a really different picture right now with the RAND under pressure. But I do want to say, you know, those are factors. Of course, they're factors. But the eels for the RAND, the long-term trajectory of the RAND, really didn't start with high commodity prices or, or declining commodity prices. We really, if we want to take a deep dive into the things that trouble South Africa, we really need to go back to the Polikwani uh, ANC election conference and the decisions that were made there and the policy choices that were made at that point that have got us now to where we are from a fiscal perspective and from a, from a currency perspective. David, I'm imagining it's almost like a drip-drip effect. Bad policy choice upon bad policy choice just tends to erode confidence, and that in turn erodes currency. 100%. So currencies at, at its core is about sentiment, sentiment towards uh, a particular region or a particular country. And that sentiment is built up through things like policy choices, economic activity, what your debt burden looks like, how, uh, how you intend to spend your money, etc., etc. So it is a consequence of the bad choice that leads us to where we are. That's the historical side of the equation, but let's bring into this discussion the burden of state-owned enterprises, and uh, I'm thinking particularly of ESCOM and Transnet. They've had a disastrous impact on the economy in terms of energy transmission and logistics. That erodes investor confidence. That is self-evident, and ultimately it loops back to, guess what, the RAND. 100%. Let's deal very simplistically with ESCOM. Uh, and, and allow me, if you will, at the end to say why I'm a little bit less concerned about Eskom in the, in the sort of medium term. Not my concerns haven't gone away. My concerns have changed a little bit. But if you take Eskom at its heart, a utility that generates energy, 
needs to be prepared to generate energy for economic growth. When you take that energy away in the form of load shedding because your capacity is constrained or you've allowed power stations to deteriorate or you haven't invested in new power generation, then nobody, you know, who wants to build a factory when you can't turn the lights on? Who wants to invest in a mine when you can't get the stuff out the ground? Who wants to open a coffee shop uh, if I can't brew coffee for my customers? So that obviously leads to GDP decline. And I don't need to remind our listeners about the dire state of the energy utility at the moment. Transnet uh, is really really, really an interesting one for me. You know, Transnet has borrowed over the last decade or so about 130 billion rand. They pay a billion rands worth of interest every month. Now, I don't know where that 130 billion rand has gone because our goods per kilometer on railway tracks has declined substantially over the last 15 years. So where's the 130 billion rand gone? It certainly hasn't gone into infrastructure development. It hasn't gone into developing our ports. It hasn't gone in anywhere near where it should have gone. Now, if you don't have an effective transport network, you can't take the stuff that you managed to get out the ground if Eskom can turn the lights on. You can't get it to port so that you can es- export to China and Europe and, and America the people that are going to pay us in hard currency. And that, again, leads to declining confidence, investor confidence. And so you don't get new investment because nobody can ship the stuff if you manage to produce it at a factory to the port to export. So all of these things work together. That's where we find ourselves. So, David, just before we continue, let let me ask you this quickly. Uh, Expand for me a little bit on ESCOM and why you perhaps don't share the same concern that uh, so many of us do. So my declining concern, and it's not completely eradicated, my declining concern is really uh, as a result of private investment into the energy sector. You know, we've seen rooftop solar, for example, Joe, Joe Public, you and I, that have invested about four and a half gigawatts of electricity on, on our roofs. Now, if that weren't the case, uh, we would have had much higher stages of load shedding. We've got some big projects that are coming online. We're hoping that, uh, you know, Kusili and Mudipi can get their act together. And I don't think load shedding goes away at all, not by a long shot, but I do think we start seeing in 2024, maybe by my mid-2024 heading into 2025, uh, lower sustained stages of, of load shedding. I think South Africans have become accustomed to living with maybe stage two or stage three. So I'm a little bit less concerned about our energy generation. My concern with Eskom remains because as the more that happens, the less revenue Eskom can generate because people are going private and Eskom can do what they like with their prices. They just can't fill the hole in their balance sheet. So I'm not as comfortable with the state of Eskom. I'm more comfortable with the state of South Africa's energy mix going forward. Let's move beyond uh, transnet debt. Um, We spoke earlier about government finances and at the core of the problem. And I've got a note on my script here which says ballooning debt. But I'm scratching that out as I talk to you. And I'm going to call it a Zeppelin-like debt. How detrimental is that to the RAND? Because that is growing. It's not even day by day. It's hour by hour. Let me first start by saying government debt is not a uniquely South African problem. In fact, at very sort of simplistic measurement levels, we are far better off than many, many of our developed peers. Uh, you know, the US, is, their government debt has ballooned by 50% in the last five years. They've gone from sub-20 trillion today, the last week or so, they surpassed $33 trillion, over 130% of their GDP, compared to us, 75 to 80%. The difference, of course, is that the US, the US dollar is the global reserve currency. So because they're the reserve currency, they're able to fund those deficits a lot easier than a country like South Africa. 
particular to South Africa, of course, is the confidence to get investors to buy our bonds. They need to have the confidence that they're going to get their money back. As your debt balloons, and, and you would know when you borrow too much and your credit card is maxed out and you, you haven't repaid your car debt, your mortgage loan is, is refinanced all the time, eventually you're going to run out of people willing to lend you money. Now, that's the concern for South Africa. Are investors going to get their money back? even though we're in a better state than many of our developed peers. And that's why we have these bond yields and the yield curve particularly that is really, really sad to look at. Our 20-year bonds are yielding close to 12%, and we still can't find investors to buy those bonds. And it's really about confidence. Am I going to get my money back? David, you used uh, the word confidence just a short time ago, and we are staring 2024 in the face. And uh, it's fair to say that electioneering has started in South Africa. We've got uh, a poll next year, anywhere between sort of March and September 2024. Um, It's a key election. Obviously, the markets will be watching that very closely. The investors that you've just referenced in your previous answer will be watching that closely as well. Elections, I'm assuming, are always an uneasy or an uncertain time for currency. Uh, Is it too early to start looking at what's in it for the RAND as we run up to the poll? I don't think it's too early. I, I, I think people who manage money, you know, need to start thinking about these things because it's going to be our first election, potentially our first election since democracy, where you don't have a clear 50% winner. That may or may not be true, but certainly some of the polls seem to suggest that the ANC may get under 50%. And then, of course, we're into coalition territory. Now, that mix of coalition we've seen at, at municipal level never really works that well because of vested interest. Joburg is a case in point. We've had a number of, of mayors over the last uh, few months, and we can't seem to get service delivered because of the vested interest in the various role players, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I guess it depends. If the ANC manages 50-plus at the national party, polls, then it's much of the same as what we've seen in the past. If they get kind of tiny numbers below 50%, then I guess there's enough smaller parties to get them over the 50% line and not too much difference from where we stand right now. If they're substantially below 50%, we're really starting to talk territory here that I'm uncomfortable thinking about. You know, it's coalitions. So I think investors need to start thinking about the election, the potential outcomes. Of course, it's too soon to forecast, you know, what that picture will look like. But I certainly think in your investment decisions, you need to start thinking about potential outcomes for the various coalitions that may form as a result of the ANC getting under 50%. We'll continue this conversation in just a moment to look at some of the solutions that can remedy the RAND's performance. But before that, I want to tell you about a brand new podcast that has just launched on Investec Focus Radio SA. Tune in to Macro Monday with Chris Holdsworth, Investec Wealth and Investments Chief Investment Strategist, for a quick and insightful summary of global market movements every Monday morning. Stay up to date and get the insights that you need to make informed investment decisions in the time it takes to drink a cup of coffee. To listen, simply subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. David, let's continue the conversation, and we've just been discussing the election in South Africa next year. What other international factors have contributed or are contributing to current RAND performance? Yeah, so so maybe continue on the theme of election. I think the U.S. election next year is potentially going to be very, very interesting. 
Trump is the outright leader for the Republicans. He doesn't even attend debates. Support amongst Republican voters is well above 50%. Now, it absolutely uh, baffles my brain that a man like Trump can be the front runner for the Republican Party. I think the U.S. public or the U.S. population is, and the political setup in the U.S. is so fractured at the moment that the 2024 U.S. election is going to be a very, very interesting one. Whether Biden would be the Democratic candidate or whether somebody else steps up to the plate. You know, traditionally, your incumbent president is the guy that stands in the next election for the second term. I think U.S. politics is going to be really, really interesting. So likewise for the U.K., you know, the Tories have lost, the the Conservative Party there has lost a huge amount of support. Uh, And if election was held today, I think Labour would walk it. So elections across the world are going to be really, really interesting to watch. Of course, that feeds again, but we close the loop back to policy. What new policies would emanate? What new choices would new governments potentially make to fix or to continue their problem? The other issue that I'm really concerned about uh, is global debt. I alluded to that earlier. We're not alone in terms of the debt pile that we've accumulated. Global debt is at record highs. Government debt, in any case, is at record highs. Some kind of debt crisis playing itself out in the next few years. Uh, I think that's an orange light that investors need to be concerned about. That certainly is an issue. And then lastly, I guess, is the inflation trajectory. Has inflation globally cooled enough for central banks to take their foot off the pedal uh, and apply some breaks to their short-term policy rates and, in fact, bring some cuts in? It doesn't look likely anytime soon. I think global central banks are higher for longer, and we just have to wait and see. So all of these factors. And then, of course, China. China is the great unknown. Do they manage to resurrect their economy? Can they get the 5 and 5.5% growth that they're looking for, which will reignite resource imports into their country? Good for us, of course. So all of these factors are things that I think we, we need to look at in the, in the foreseeable future. Not to forget, of course, uh, food security and the situation in Ukraine, for instance. 100%. I mean, there's a potential for the conflict to expand, to draw in other nations. Uh, It doesn't look like there's going to be any kind of peace negotiations anytime soon. Certainly, that conflict looks to be protracted and carry on, potentially drawing other uh, other players. Uh, You know, we just hope that cool heads prevail. But to your point about food security, grain is always on the table as a sticky negotiation point. And now the Russians allow grain exports. Uh, That is that's absolutely going to be a factor. Let's move away from the global canvas as we come to the end of this conversation. And I'm just wondering to myself if there are practical steps that we can take as a country to find solutions and maybe positively change the trajectory of the RAND. Jeremy, you know, it's taken us 20 years to get where we are. So so there's no quick fixes. There's no levers that one can pull and, and suddenly we're going to discover trillions of rands somewhere that's going to get us out of our troubles. But what you do need is an effective state. You need things like an effective prosecuting authority. You need an effective revenue collection authority, which I think we've got. You need people that are confident that are paying their taxes, that those taxes are going to be spent effectively. You need policy choices that are going to affect employment, things like GDP growth and employment growth, et cetera, et cetera. So unfortunately, there's really, really no quick fixes here, but you do need an effective state. Now, whether we get that after the next election remains to be seen. And just finally, David, as we wrap up, let's take a look, if we can, at the outlook for the RAND over the next 12 months. And I'm reminded of a quote which says that currency forecasting is like trying to predict the weather in a place where you've never been based on wind patterns that you can't see. 
I like that. I like that analogy. <laughs> and the reason why it's so difficult to predict currency movements is is that you know there, there's ever changing factors and things that come from left field. Uh, you know, something happens in Europe or China or somewhere else in the world that absolutely impacts us. For me, at, a, at a, on a broad level, and I'm not going to predict whether the rand trades at a certain level to the dollar. I do think the remain the rand absolutely remains on the back foot you know, when measured against the basket of currencies. What may change that view, Jeremy, uh, you know, we do offer attractive yields. Uh, so if we get lower rates globally, particularly in the developed world, our yield curve may be, may be attractive for investors. But then again, you know, investors have got to be confident that they're going to get their money back. So we got these two forces. If we do get lower rates globally, it may be good for the RAND. If we get higher commodity prices because China managed to resurrect themselves, that will be good for the RAND. But the things that are negative for the RAND are the things that we've spoken about earlier in this podcast. David Gracie, thank you so much for the insight. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And please join us again in a fortnight as we continue to explore money trends shaping your world. Uh, A quick note, if you haven't added us yet to your podcast feed, search for Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts and very simply hit the subscribe button. Until next time, goodbye from me, Jeremy Maggs, and the entire Focus Radio team. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.